Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, you're going to hear this little recording? Talk Recorded live. All right, you can begin. You're being recorded. Hello, what's your name? My name is Lynette Monsignor Jones Washington. And, and do you I spell your the name? Address... Do you spell it L-Y-N-E-T-T-E? No, L-A-N-E-T-T-E. Okay, Lynette. Okay, go ahead, Lynette. Please tell me, when you were pregnant, what were you saying? When I was telling Andrews, um... I was in the church called Antioch Spiritual Church. And we would get praise the Lord and get excited and dance. And I felt. And when I felt, my belly went underneath the bench. And they couldn't move because I was so huge. They, mm. had to pick up the, they had to pick up the bench. And when they picked me up, uh, Reverend Oscar Francis, he's still living. He's, he's a spiritual bishop. And he said, you are carrying a baby that is going to be very gifted, but the only thing is she's going to have a birthmark on the side of her face or her own. He said, and this is where her gift is going to come from. And we had a gospel group my husband and I, and we would go to rehearse on Saturdays. And um, when Sianders was born, Sianders had a birthmark over her forehead like he said she would have. Over her and, forehead, um, she said? Yes. It was okay. from her forehead all the way down to the back of her head. It was like halfway. Okay, and it was red as fire. And every time I would go somewhere with my baby, they would say, oh, my God, what happened to the baby? And I said, this is her birthmark. And they said, oh, oh. So um, at the age of nine months, the eyes stopped sucking a bottle, and she trained her own self to go to the party. Wow. And we was in this grocery store. No, we was in the grocery store. We was in. Kimmel. Were you in Kimmel? Yes, we were in, no, Gaylord's, I'm sorry. We were in Gaylord's apartment, so. Gaylord's apartments, did you say? Yes, Gaylord's. G-A-Y-L-O-R-D, Gaylord's? Yes, uh-huh. Okay. okay. And we were in the toy department, and they had a piano that had three legs, two, two legs in the back, one in the front. And she wanted that piano, and we bought her that piano. And we took and put that piano in the hallway, and she would sit down and bang on that piano and bang on that piano. 
and she couldn't go to bed unless she had the piano with her in the bed. <laughs> really? I saw it was, a, it was a small piano. Yes, a little bitty small piano. And she was so close to that piano, she wouldn't go to bed unless that piano was with her. And she'll walk around with it, and she'll go in the hallway by herself and be banging on the piano, and she'll be saying, this, this one, this one, this one, bang. And she said, okay. And she said, this one, and she'll go, bang. I said, the Irish baby, who are you talking to? She said, the man. The man is telling me what to do. And I said, no, baby, there's no man. Yes, there is. He's telling me. He's, I said, no. So I got afraid. I said, oh, God, what's going on with my baby? I said, every day she's telling me, the man, the man, the man. So I brought to just a psychiatrist to see what was wrong with my baby. And I said, Miss, nothing's wrong with her. The only thing we can do, that birth mark may be a problem, but if we remove it, it may be do something to her brain. So Bishop told me, leave it alone. She's going to be fine. That's her birthmark. That's where her gift is coming from. I said, but she's constantly telling me about a man. He said, leave everything alone. So every day she'll get in, that hall, in the hallway, and she'll be saying, okay, bang. I just left it alone. You know, just mm-hmm. in the hallway playing. And the man told me, the man teaching me how to play, mommy. And I said, okay, Sianna, it's okay. So every night, Sianna had to sleep with that piano in the bed. Every night. I mean, didn't miss a night. That piano had to go with her. So we had a gospel group, my husband and I, and my cousin. We'll go around singing. And one day, what was the name of your group? The Young Adult Gospel Chorus. Okay. And we'll go around singing the different church and everything. And one day we was at rehearsal, and she got up, and she started playing what we were singing. And this wasn't a piano. No. This was an organ that she got on and started playing. Just started playing? Started playing the organ. How old was she when she did that? She was at the age of five years old when she just started playing, and at the at five years old she just started playing. Took her feet, started moving her feet. Took her fingers, she started moving her fingers. Oh my goodness! Francis, Francis came out and said, "Who's playing?" And said, "The oh, it's the Andres playing." Mm-hmm. She said, so what went on, she started playing and playing. So after she did that, um, he took and sent her to music teacher, music teacher, Miss Chris, J. Wagner Chris. No, we sent her to World Lines first. And when she went to World Lines, teacher was How teaching her. That? She went to a music store. Uh-huh. Spell it. It's it's a music store, Whirl Line. So that she I can write it. I want to write right. it correctly. W-E- what is it? W E R 
spell E I N apostrophe S. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. I'm, I'm walking in the bank and talking to y'all too. So um, she went to um, she went to Berlin's and was learning her music. This is in New Orleans, right? This was in New Orleans, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. After after she started doing that, the teacher said, "Baby, she's been coming here for two months, and she's teaching me." Oh my goodness. <laughs> She said, I can teach her. She said, um, what I'm showing her how to do, she's telling me no. She's telling me no, you got to do it this way. <laughs> so, um, so, baby, you're going to have to um, let her go somewhere else because wow. I'm trying to teach her. I'm trying to teach her music, how to do this with her chords, and she's telling me she don't like that code. She likes this code. So I can't That's do incredible. it anymore. I said, I said, okay. So there's a young man named um, uh, it was Bishop uh, Rankin, and we had him to come in and help her reading her notes. Bishop and, Rankin? Yeah, Alexander Rankin. He's deceased Is now. R-A-N-K-I-N? Yes. Okay. And um, he started helping her, and he had to stop because he said, um, you know, she was overlooking him. She was winding up playing better than him. (laughs) This is crazy. And she was still five at the time, or? No, at that time she was six. And he said, but I know. He said, I know a church that needs a musician. And he said, she can uh, take over this choir. There was about six members. Mm. And he said, they need a good musician. And she said, I just can handle it. And I said, well, what is it? He said, oh, these are uh, adults. So he said, I'm going to talk to the pastor and see what the pastor says. So the pastor wanted to hear her play. And when he heard her playing, he said, oh, my God, this six-year-old child is playing like somebody 30 years old. I can't believe it. So we went to the church to rehearsal, four and nine. And we sit down, and he told his choir members, we have a new musician now, and y'all wanted a better musician to teach y'all, so we have someone here. And... um. She's going to come up. I want y'all to respect her, honor her, do what she say do, and everything. So I guess they're looking and thinking it's me. I have a little girl sitting next next to me. So they said, and I want y'all to give her respect. And they all clap hands. They're excited to have a new musician. So he said, I'm going to introduce her to you all. Leandris Jones, will you please come up here and introduce yourself and do what you have to do. She stood up and she walked up to the quiet stand and they said, what? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> we're, we're not, not going to take and sit behind her. She's not going to tell us what to do. 
And Pastor Jefferson said, I said, if y'all want to sing and praise the Lord, y'all have to do what she said do. So she stood up and she said, um, who sings soprano? Doreen her hands up. And she said, who sings alto? Doreen her hands mm-hmm. up. Who sings tenor? And she said, okay, that's what y'all say y'all sing. So she said, well, I want you to take and just, just go ahead and sing in this song you feel like singing. So she was with the alto. It went ahead and started singing. And she said, well, what do you say you sing? Alto. She said, no, baby, you don't sing alto. You sing soprano. And she was uh, seven, going, making seven years old. That next month she would have been seven in August. Mm. So the lady said, I know what I sing, little girl. You can't tell me. She said, I said, you sing soprano. <laughs> now stand over here. She stood over at the soprano. She had, she went through with all of them. And some of them was correct, some of them wasn't. Right. And she said, now I want y'all to take and just all together sing a song that y'all usually sing on Sundays. So they sung this song. And she said, oh, God, no. No, we're not going to. We're not going to have this. This is Alto's thing I'm getting ready to give you. She goes in the organ, and she hit the key for the Alto's, and she sung the part, and they sung behind her. And the young man said, wow. And she said, soprano, I want you to sing this part. She gave it to him. She sung it, and they sung their part. Tennis, I want you to sing this part. And they had a lady in the back. She said, babe, you don't sing soprano nor alto. You can go ahead and sing with the tenors. That's what you sing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the man hollered, you know what you're talking about. How old are you? And she said, don't worry about how old I am. You just do what I'm telling you to do. Oh, this my is goodness. How she <laughs> this is how she was talking to him. So, so she started playing. And she gave me a part, and he started singing. The choir sounded 30% better than what they were singing. And she wow. said, now, we're going to go over this song over and over. we got to sing one song. Y'all going to do this song like y'all never sung it before. And she went oh over, and it was 100% dead sounding off the chain. Oh, my God. And she was praying, and they were screaming, saying, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. We can't believe this. So Tony Brown Journal heard about this little girl, seven years old, playing. And then she wound up having her own gospel group. She had 45 children. Wow. That they would take and go around singing and praising the Lord. And she taught all those children their parts, their songs, all kinds of songs. She wrote songs of her own. And he came in and interviewed her. And she used to sing, and she had a concert with Edward Neville, the Neville Brothers. Really? Yes, she did. Wow. And she was on, um, this years ago, it's probably before your time. Keep Bob Simple had a show. He used to come on TV, and he had Sea Hunters on TV featuring her. And her choir would go all over singing. They would go to 
Indianapolis ever with singing. It was amazing. Tony Brown said it was amazing how she performed. He wanted her to go to the school in New York, but my mother and her daddy wouldn't let her go. They said she was too young to live under the roof of Tony mm. Brown Journal. And it's the school, Juilliard School of Music, Mom, just so she had Yeah. It. Oh, okay, yeah, um, to perform. And my daddy uh, became a minister out of the group, and she would go to different gospel tents, and she started asking people to pray for her daddy because her daddy was a man that was... Uh, a woman um, chaser. He became a pastor, and she just went through a whole lot in the household. And the women that he would take and be with would call her up on our house phone, curse her out, and tell her all kind of things Mm. about him and her. And that really made a defect in her life. Mm. And um, it's just that we went through a lot. He would um he would take and do a lot of things that was not right. Is um, he still alive? Yes, he is. And um okay. it's just that a lot of things that she and I went through in life. Um, having sex with with uh with my cousin in the home. She inspired all that. She inspired different women from the church um, having um, having um, sex with uh, him, and mm-hmm. just a lot, a lot that she went through. Mm-hmm. So, and how did that? She, how did it, that, it really affect um, her a lot in life, and right now it still affects her. Sometimes she'll talk to him, he'll cuss her out and tell her the thing, and he's a bishop. Okay. Are we at liberty to talk about that in the book or no? I don't know. I am open because this is about exposing the mass. So this comes to the point where you see in the beginning where I was sharing, I wore a mask. I went to church like everything was well and great. My dad would get mm-hmm. up and preach and gifts and calling it without repentance. He can preach. But behind right. the scenes, he was living a different life, a double life. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother covered up a lot of it for him, you know, in ministry because she was a deaconess. So in the church and being a church mother, she kept a lot under to keep him in the position so that he did not, you understand what I'm saying? Lose yeah. where he was. And so mm-hmm. that hurt. It it caused a lot, a lot of pain because there was a lot of masking that was, was going on. So even mm-hmm. to the day, you know, he's a bishop and he drinks, he smokes, and yeah. So What's I his don't name? know how Raft, R-A-F-T, Jones, J-O-N-E-S. Okay. Senior, he's a senior because they have a junior. He's a senior, and so he's um, a senior. Okay. And he will come in the home drunk, I'm falling out, want to fight 
and then he started it where he wanted to start fighting his son. And it just it was real bad. Right now mm-hmm. I mean, it still hurts. It's still you know, I have a backflash on some of the things that went on. But it was really bad. He had sex with my little cousin in the home. Mm. Jesus. So, you know, a lot of things went on. And um, mm-hmm. he hasn't really changed too much. He's still the same way. He married a younger woman now. He's 27 mm-hmm. years older than her. And the pressure wow. in that situation that happened... Um, when the divorce was going to happen, he said he was coming to Hawaii and he was going to get his life together. And I felt a lot of, a lot of weight because at that point, my mom was, the marriage was self salvageable. So we were in church. Um, we weren't even pastoring then. I was the minister of music at our church. Um, but again, like that was happening. And so, man, I'm like, what do I tell my mom? She brought him over here. And, you know, was really looking to reconcile, and it's no different. He's coming home drunk. My kids are, you know, waiting. Where is their grandfather? Where is their papa? But, of course, papa is not showing up. And I'm like, finally, when my mom said, see, Andres, I said, Mom, I got to tell you the truth. No, there is no change. Things are not changing. And that was the hardest because I felt such the weight because a lot of things were centered around, you know, Seandra's growing up and it was it was a really really big weight and yes he loved material would do whatever but the affection wasn't there my dad was the type who bought bought your love giving uh so even recently i went home because of my son's graduation i did not want to go see him to be honest but i'm like i'm not bitter i have to be the bigger one i have to walk in god's love and of course what does he do he gives everybody off i mean envelopes and it's money in it. And I'm like, oh, this is, not, this is not what I want. You cannot buy me. So I just wanted to interject that part because that's where it was, even with sexuality and some of those other things. It's like, man, it's a mask. And even the bishops, the people around him, is anybody going to hold accountable? Um, so when mm-hmm. finally this situation happened with him and my cousin, sleeping together, that's when at that point my grandmother had to uncover and really reveal what she had been hiding for, what, Mom, over 28 years of a marriage that had been going on? And finally went to Bishop Paul S. Martin. I'll let you finish, Mom. Sorry. I went to um, Bishop Paul S. Martin, which is a big, big, huge church in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And he was a part of that. And the bishop told us, he didn't know why God would not make him a bishop. He would pray over it a lot of times, but God would tell him, no, don't make him a bishop. Mm. So he didn't make him a bishop. So he went to another organization after we got divorced. And because he was giving them so much money, they went ahead and made him a bishop. Mm. Not because he deserved it, but because of the money that he was giving them into the church. Wow. 
became a bishop. But uh, I went through a a lot. I had his Mm -hmm. sister when I was pregnant for his son to come to the home and put a gun on me. And she told me she wanted to kill me. And I had my little niece in the mess and it scuffled, and she didn't. They, they, she couldn't kill me. But two months after that, that same sister-in-law that wanted to kill me while I was pregnant took and shot herself in her mother's bathroom. My God! So she wanted to take your life, and ended up taking. She her wanted own. to take my life and my baby life that I had in my belly because Why? she didn't want her brother to have a son because they knew I was pregnant. And I couldn't just get pregnant like that. I went to a doctor where I had my tooth clipped and burned after my second baby. And women would call me up and would tell me, you know, your husband wants a baby and said, you're none fit, your body is all ate up and that you can't have no more children. I went to uh, a hospital in Dr. Labadee was my doctor at um, Meadowcrest Hospital. He did a special surgery so I can conceive and get pregnant, and I did. And finally, I prayed and prayed, and it was a boy. And they know it was going to be a boy, but they didn't want that little boy to come alive. They wanted him dead. Mm. So that same two months after that, she took that same gun that she wanted to kill me with and shot herself in the head at her mother's home in the bathroom. So Sianja went through through all of this. So Sianja, how did that that affect you? How much did you know and understand while it was going on? What was happening with that situation? Because I was so unique and I I took it. All of this was going on that I can remember from as early as the age of five up until even now. And what I would do is I would actually take the pain that I would be experiencing and things that would go, and I would drive it into music. I mean, when people would be like, man, she was so anointed, that's when we had tragedy at at home that weekend. And at that time, I didn't understand even then. I mean, I know now who the man was. It was God talking to me and guide me. But that man at that time, at that age, was my comforter. He would be the one that's like, you're going to play this and you're going to do this. Of course, it was father. It was then. And I didn't understand relationship with God in that way, you know, in the depth of it and in the tongues and the language. But I just remember that was my escape. And then books, I was a straight-A student. So I studied hard. Um, I had a cousin who was actually gay uh, with his uh, sexuality who would be there and be like, see, Andres, you're going to read, you're going to do this. So they took, I had cousins that would take the gifts and the abilities and help me point it in a positive direction so I knew how to deal with all the negative that was around, I would still press. And so when people would be like, man, you tore it up today or God really used you, of course, not understanding then that was the press. That was a yet praise. That was me giving, you know, a sacrifice of praise unto God, and it was hard. I felt rejected. Here was I, this smart kid, growing up rich, but I felt so empty. And people wanted to be around me not because of who I was. I was different. It's because of, it was more. always because of what we had. Her daddy was a So you guys were well-to-do. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. Her daddy was a contractor, and I don't know um, if you well, you can go and look up, but he did the whole World's Fair when the World's Fair was in New Orleans. He did what? The World's Fair. I've never heard about muffled. that. It's it's just muffled so, what you're saying. Say it again. He built the World's Fair. The options is coming yeah. through clearer than you are. I don't know why. He oh, built what? He built. The World's Fair in New Orleans. Spell it. W-O-R-L-D, world, apostrophe, S, and then the word fair, F-A-I-R. So he built the World's Fair. That's what it was called in 1984. Okay. Okay. Thank you. He did that in New Orleans in, in 84. And he had nothing but money. And behind that, he had... What was this uh, contracting business called? It was Jones Construction Service. Okay. And he he would buy women's a car cash, and one of the women's car that he bought cash, she was living in New York. Was it New York? No, I'm sorry. It was Washington, D.C. Her name was Angelique Moore. And um, he bought her a car, cash, and they was having an affair. And every now and then, sometime he'll come home. Sometime I wouldn't see my husband for a whole week. How and long were you married she, to him? Why? How long, no, how long were you married? Mm-hmm. 30 years. Wow, 30 years. Yes, when did I'm you well. two get divorced? What year? We got divorced in 19, 13 years, years ago. It'll be 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 13 years ago. And um, I did all this for my husband, for my children to live comfortable, for they can go to the best of schools. And I got tired because my son was at the age of 12 years old, and his dad would come in and start trouble with him and start calling me out my name, calling me all kinds of names, and told his daddy, if you come into my room and bother me again, I'm going to kill you. And if you talk mm. to my mother out the way, I'm going to kill you. And God told me, who do you want? Do you want your son? to live or you want your son to die. Wow. And I took and I went I went to the lawyer and I talked to the lawyer about the situation. He said, Well what I can do you say he's an adulteress, so I had someone to follow him and they took pictures of him and everything. And that week that he came home, the lawyer told me to have all his stuff packed in the bag and have this stamp onto the bag so when he come home, he can come in, change the locks on the doors, make sure you have everything that belongs to him. And I did that. And when he came, he called the police. Police rung the doorbell. And I told my son I didn't want his hands in it, let me handle everything. And I gave the police the paper that my lawyer gave me to give to him. And the cops turned around and told him to leave and leave now, and don't you ever 
come in front of this door and ring the doorbell or call us again. And he was supposed to go to Hawaii to get himself saved, to help, but when he got by Fiandus, there was no change. He was gone from woman to woman. Mm. And that's where he met his wife at in Hawaii, the young lady. And she was she was um in rehab and he wound up marrying her. But he had nothing but money. He would buy women's cars cash. Wow, so basically, I struggle for me even today, Deanna, because often I battle with when I'm struggling. Am I being cursed because of my father? You know, I think about the firstborn. It's a struggle, you know, being unique. Um, And when I minister and I preach, I'm very transparent because I made a vow that I would not wear a mask. I hated it. Growing up, seeing it, the struggle. So now I'm attacked for my authenticity. So I, I... I battle and I'm at war constantly like, well, heck, do I wear a mask and be in pain? Or do I be transparent and real and preach the word, but then people attack me for being real and I I wear the pain? And it's that constant struggle, God, who am I? What did you call me to be? You know, then why did you allow me to come forward when I was born with my, you know, bull-legged in my feet facing one another and had to wear braces? And why didn't you allow me to just do the surgery? Pause right there so I can about the feet. So we can understand the condition that you had with your feet, how old you were, how long this lasted, what that entailed. What what happened with your feet? Maya, you want to share she was, that? She was born with, uh, she was born, um, they would call it in those days, we would call it bow-legged. Her leg would okay, be so turned. she was severely bow-legged? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, they took and put uh, iron bars across her leg, and she had to keep that on for a whole year. When did they put the iron bars on her leg? She had that on when she was even going through her at three months old. And as her feet was growing, they would take and change her shoes and extend the bars. And she would walk around with those bars. And go to bed with those boys. Wow. Yeah. For how long? She did that for two years. Okay. She was two years old. Okay. Okay, you're on your feet. I just good. I just wanted to be accurate. So you had to wear <laughs> uh, metal bars on your legs to straighten them. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that? And a lot of a lot of people would say because of her gift being over her head, it was a oh this is an ugly little baby. So they said she was ugly because of her birthmark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And see, Andre, do you remember a lot of that? Do you remember? I I um, do. I do remember being called ugly. As a matter of fact, I remember because I had to wear braces and glasses, being called four-eyed and Spud McKenzie because of the patch. That was the Budweiser dog who had the patch over his eye. So I would be called mm, middle mouth with yeah, braces, yeah. four eyes, and Spud McKenzie. And it was you very, would be called what for your braces? Spud McKenzie? Middle mouth. Like tractor mount, middle mount. Yes. Yeah, sure. So they would say, yeah. "Here come four eyes with her middle mount, and look at Spuds McKenzie." And so it was very hard. So you went through what you went through at home. You would go to school, and you didn't fit in. 
you know, you were a smart student astray. But then when the reporters came around and did stories on you and driving in limos, oh, now everybody wants to be around Seantra. And it was always, man, does anybody love me for who I am? Or the story would go around school, oh, if you go by Seandra's house, her parents are rich. Her mom takes her shopping, you're going to go and she'll buy clothes for you too because that's how my mother was. She was a very given person. So then people now wanted to be around me. They weren't my friend for me. They were my friend because you get to go in a rich house and they have housekeepers and they shop and buy stuff for you. Okay. But on the other side of this, it turned a lot of kids that was in her group that was singing successful. She has three of them that were singing in her group now that are ministers. She has four of them that's musicians because they all want to be like Seantis. They want to make something out of themselves. They want to go into music. They want to go into praising the Lord, talking about how good God is. Because I dealt with a lot of children that didn't know what it is to go out to eat, didn't know what it is to have a nice dress on. Um, these are kids that were living in the project. I would go pick these kids up on Sundays and buy them clothes so they can go out to sing in the church. And we all would go to Piccadilly Cafeteria, and I would pay for the whole 45 children to eat. Sometimes I would take the whole 45 kids into my home on the weekend and keep them till after that Sunday evening, after we went around three or four churches that Sunday to go sing and praise God. Wow. That's incredible. So... Materially, Seandra, you had everything pretty much, but yes. um, you were empty and did not really have that strong, stable relationship with your father. There was so much turmoil surrounding your family. And do you still play? Do you still do music? What did you ever do with that gifting? So I, I do still play. I'm, I'm not actually over worshiping arts at our church now that has that that we pastor, but I definitely have shifted into the prophetic sound. So when God is there, I'll prophesy, you know, it'll start either through singing or a word. Um, we have a assistant that pretty much takes over because I have to switch roles, you know, being in co-pastor and more ministering because it was hard. You'd have to play and then preach the word and like, oh, I got to go run, do an altar call and play. So God has sent this someone else now. So that's not like me, but I do still play, you know, at times. Um, I haven't given it up. Um, I really do see that God has given me that gift of impartation. I impart into others, you know, in the role that I have now in assisting with my husband in ministry. Um, Definitely used to do conferences and worship conference, understanding the Levitical priest and your role and how to enter into the presence of God and, you know, beyond the veil. So I still teach, you know, praise and worship sometimes even corporately having a, a transitional ministry military, I will teach it very often so that people truly understand beyond, you know, just the traditional praise is this, worship is this, but your lifestyle, you know, the different forms of praise, the sacrificial, the yet. Um, so that's really what it has turned into. Um, as far as writing and kind of like doing an album or a CD, I never did that. It wasn't a desire of mine. It was others. Okay. The desire mm-hmm. for me was always sharing 
the story and helping people to really be set free, helping people to really understand what it is to be authentic and embracing who God has called you. When rejection comes, when opposition comes, how do you embrace that and understanding you're who God has called you to be and not seeing these situations as failure, but seeing them as positions and placing you for the glory that God has is going to get out of your life. And that's really kind of been my focus. And even now, okay. you know, you would think, wow, at over 40, it wouldn't still hurt. I can definitely tell you God has healed me, and I am whole in that aspect of the relationship with my dad. Now I often have to find myself saying, wow, if he died today, would I preach a message? If they ask me to speak with a mask, or would I really be transparent and use that as a way of getting people to not walk in the steps that he had to walk in, giving them faith, hope, and love? Mhm. That's powerful. Um yeah, that that's that's powerful. That helps me to kind of contextualize it, it, who you are. Mm-hmm. It hurts her because um her brother said if he his dad would die, he don't think he would even go to the funeral. Mm-hmm. Um he um he reads, he studied the word of God. He is. He has a calling upon his life, but he's afraid to accept the calling because he's afraid he's going to go into that path that he's dating mm-hmm. into. That's heartbreaking. So, Mom, let me ask you, how did you, because I, I find it so tragic and yet beautiful how you love your children and you really wanted the best life for them. How did you survive? in that kind of atmosphere, having your heart broken. Well, I have to tell I have to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. My uncle was a police officer. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a gun. And I had got so fed up that I mm-hmm. shot at my husband. My God, yeah. And when I shot at my husband, the bullet passed and Miss my baby girl. Mm. Who's the Andres? No, Shanice, her sister. I had oh two gosh. girls and a boy. Mm-hmm. And I said, God, I just really couldn't take it. I would lay in the bed with my husband. He would call me all kind of names. Um, right now, if he was to call me up, we can't talk. Mm-hmm. If you he called me up for my birthday to wish me happy birthday, and he said, "And your kids," and I just went off. Don't you ever say anything about our kids? Mm-hmm. I just think there's so much. I said, "Let me tell you something." He said, "I ain't calling you." I said, "Don't call." I didn't ask you to call me. Mm-hmm. And this is how we operate. I told my kids, one of my my daughters here now, she's been very sick. She was in intensive care. I told her, if I was to see him coming in this door right now, I would say, I can't take him. And I got to constantly ask God to forgive me, but it's a hurt in my heart. Mm-hmm. And right now, mm-hmm. I can't really join the church because it goes back to the ministers. 
mm. you know, and everybody's not the same, but it's a, it's a hurt upon my heart because I went through a lot. Yeah. I mean, I remember I remember uh, Easter Sunday morning. My kids was dressed for Easter, and my uncle is passed now. He lived till he was 93 years old. And I dressed my kids up, and I brought them. I did this. I brought them to a hotel where their dad was staying at in New Orleans. And he still was living with us, but he didn't come home Easter Sunday morning. And the kids wanted their daddy for Easter Sunday morning. So I went to the hotel, and I said, do you have a Ralph Jones that's here? And they said, we're not supposed to tell, give that information. I said, these are his kids. And he's up in the room with a woman, and they just want to say hello to their daddy. This lady gave me the room number. We went up there. Mm. Went up there to the room, knocked on the door, and he answers the door with his woman. He didn't know who it was. He thought it was, I guess, one of the ladies that's working there. Right, right. And he just said, oh, it's y'all. That's devastating. Yeah. You know, and I had even had a woman uh, drove her car in through our house. Mm. One of the cars that he bought her drove it straight through. It went straight through the living room. Lord have mercy. She was angry with that? She was, it was in the morning. If my kids would have been downstairs, we all would have been dead. Lord have mercy, Jesus. His family supported him 100% with all his women because he took care of them. His sister, Veronica, all of them supported him. His mother supported him 100%. Right. Because he was wealthy. Yes. Woof. Lord have mercy. Um, thank you for um thank you for sharing all that, Mom. It was uh it was really helpful. I mean I can really hear the pain and and I can only imagine. Um and I'll pray for you. I'll continue to keep you in my prayers because that's just the level of sacrifice involved in that and Trying to be a mom and, and the wife. Yeah, I know God is Yeah, I love yeah. my children with all my heart. I love my grandchildren. I love, but I, guess what? I still hurt. Yeah, I still hurt. Sure. I yeah. treated him like gold. I would run a bed water for him. I would bed him. I would bring him food to the bed. I treated him um, like he was. Go, but that's mm. life. Life goes on. Right, right. Well, I think that was the first good session with my mom. <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna let you have a breather. I'm gonna hold on to DeAndre's a little bit longer. Um, okay. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, mom. Yeah. I love you. Okay, love you and. Before I go, God sent me a, a husband. His name was Ruben Washington. I met him Praise in Win Dixie Grocery. I met I met him in Win Dixie Grocery Store. 
um, he was a he was a school teacher. He was a coach. Um, he was a good man. And when I met him, and we got married, I didn't know that he had cancer. And I didn't. He died in two years. We had just no, been married a year and something. Yeah, okay, we got married and we just God took him away in a year and a half time. Oh my gosh. I'm so yeah. sorry. That's mm. no, okay. He's been dead now. Um, it's going on nine years. It'd be ten years. Mm. He would call Fiona Ford and dish him out and tell him about himself. Mhm. Yeah, I good. really had a I had a good husband, but you know God took him away. So nothing I can do. My husband is God. He's the man of my life, and mm-hmm. that's how he's gonna be. I'm 66 years old, and I have no desire of a husband, but my husband is God. Mhm. Yeah, I understand. Thank you. So Thank you. We continue on Aaron. talking to see Anders and okay. God bless you. Bye bless you. Goodbye. All right, Mom. Bye. Okay. Hello. Well, I knew she was going to tear up. I'll call and check on her in a little bit. But yes, ma'am. Ooh, you yeah, that me. was heavy. That was mm-hmm. heavy. Um. I didn't know all those things about you. Um, I'm glad I did, though, that I do now. And um, You're going to help me, and we're going to research it out, because I really want people to know your story. Um, just as we were talking, um, the, the Lord was dealing with me about your cover. Your cover does need to be different than what you currently have. Right. Okay. Um, the cover needs a redesign. I need you to... Um, I need a closer up picture of you because people need to understand uh, who the prodigy has grown into be mm-hmm. uh, and who you have become and how you're helping individuals. I, I was just so fascinated about you being young and talking about the man who was talking to you. When did you come to know the Lord and recognize that he was dealing with you? When did you... Actually, when um my mom was talking about that rehearsal, so I can remember that rehearsal that day, um, and I didn't understand Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, because of course you know growing up in the Baptist church, they didn't really talk about that. It was a point when you fell out, they put those spirits of right. stuff underneath your nose and all of that. But I remember being at, it, it was a spiritual church. That's what it was called. And we were at Bishop Francis, and I, I just felt, I felt fire. And I got on the organ, as she was saying, and I played. And then as I I was playing, I felt, I was like, I'm on fire. And I started running around the church and crying and just praising God. And some of the adults were laughing, but then when they saw how serious and Bishop Francis walked in, he was like, this ain't funny. Yes, God, move. And that's when I knew and visually, I can't even tell you, it wasn't like most people say, you know, the white guy with the curly hair. I did not see that. I can't tell you even the image, but it was like a father's love. And I just, that's when I knew this was the man that had been talking to me. This is God. And that's when I talked with Bishop Francis. 
can I share oh, with him? He was, was he the pastor of a spiritual church? That's what it was called. The he was the pastor church. of the spiritual church, correct. It was the called Antioch Spiritual Church. And okay. his name was Bishop Oscar Francis. And so okay. then that Sunday at church, we went to our church, which was called Divine, D-I-V-I-N-E, Providence Baptist Church. And when they asked, does anybody want to make Jesus their Savior and Lord? That was when I raised my hand up. That's when I raised my hand up and accepted the Lord Jesus and said I wanted to be baptized. Wow. And even then it was different because, you know, of course, again, not knowing, I didn't know it was Holy Ghost, but like I would be like, man, I, I want to speak this language. This is weird. And I would like shout or scream and they would look at me and, you know, that's when they try to hold you down in the Baptist church. <laughs> it's funny because I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, this is all visual. But I guess even then it was so much more and greater. And it wasn't actually until I, I married and moved away that I actually got exposed to to greater, you know, understanding the apostles and the evidence of speaking in tongues. But even then when I was How played, old were you? How old were you? I was 20. You got married when you were 20? Yes. Okay. And so you were living in New Orleans, New Orleans till then, and you were in the Baptist church. Correct. And you you got married, and where did you go? Did you stay in New Orleans? Or? I got married. We moved to I moved to San Diego with him. We were in San Diego, I believe, for four months, and then we moved to Virginia Beach. And when we went to Virginia Beach, that was the first time I got exposed to Church of God in Christ. And I was oh, playing, and that's when I. <laughs> and then I went to New Jerusalem, a Church of God in Christ. And it was Hello, Bishop Barnett, Kate Thurgood. He's he's passed now, and I started to see convocations, and you know that's when I got exposed, and everything shifted. And uh, what was the name the of fire. the pastor? Did you, did you say a pastor? His name was Bishop Barnett K. Thurgood. T H O R O U G H G O O D. Okay. And I was with him for a year, and then an opportunity came to be a minister of music, and so I went over to Flames of Fire, Church of God in Christ, and that was Bishop Mm. Jerry Brown with a J. And when I tell you fire, that was it. That's when I started to experience and understand warfare, and that's when the prophecies started coming over my life. And I understood, because when I would play when I was younger, God literally, as I would play, I would look at people and see stuff like it would be like a movie played of their life or what just happened the night before. And I'm like, this is weird. Why? But I didn't understand prophecy. And I'd be like, this is so crazy. And so what I would do when I see music, God would give me a song to sing to their situation. And like I would sing the words or when my mom said I would write and I would sing like God knows who you are, it doesn't matter what happened when man has put their arms around you for that God loves you. And it's like people would scream or the one person, you know, would just walk up and scream. And so I would sing different songs and write on the spot, not understanding it was prophetic. My dad did and does that. (laughs) Yeah. But then when I got into... Uh, Church of God in Christ, I started to understand that the gift of prophecy. And so I didn't, it it developed where I didn't even need music. I would walk into people's lives and, you know, he would give me things and give me, you know, warnings, but he would say, tell them their future. 
give them the warning, but then tell them what I have in store for them. And so that's really uh, how it, it worked. And then from Virginia Beach, we moved to Hawaii, and that's when the depth of everything, I really started to get clarity of who I was, what God had called me to, my purpose, um, and embracing the assignment that God really had given me. And that's when we got exposed to apostolic. And that's when I started to see, oh, my God, we fight over if it's in Jesus' name or if it's mm-hmm, in the Father, Son, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. And that's when I'm like, oh, I hate religion. Why are we arguing? with so? And from seeing it from different perspectives, I was like, oh, my God, we are so caught up into DNA and this and it. Can we just, what's the name of the Father? Okay, his name is Jesus. What's the name of Son? Can we just get past? Let's look at the, the context of what we're not, your stuff, or what you are passed down in ignorance. And that's when we transitioned. And once God called my husband to pastor, that's when we were like, you know what? Denomination has caused such division. We are going to be non-denomination, but we are going to preach the word, and we are definitely going to pattern after the book of Acts. So, mm-hmm. where we are. Um, aside from your music, which the Lord taught you to play, do you still mm-hmm. have that kind of relationship with God where he teaches you things specifically, yes. or did that change as you grew older? Do you still have that relationship? It It is so different now to where I believe it's like, you get taught at one level, but when you mature, the lessons come different, sure. and they're a lot harder, and they're a lot sterner because mm-hmm. you know better. So, for example, um, I experienced something doing, of course, you're aware, but I'll share for this, going through the conference, and my husband Sunday had preached on suffering, and, you know, he said, in the body of Christ, everybody talks about it, but nobody preaches suffering. So because we don't preach on suffering, people don't know how to suffer because we're not taught what that looks like. We don't give you the tools of how to suffer right and suffer with a purpose and suffer for Christ. And so kid you not, Sunday after that I get the email and I'm like, okay, God, are you serious? Why is it every time he preaches a word or I preach, it's got to hit us first. God, can you just let it hit the congregation? And so it's lessons like that for me that God is like, okay, so how are you going to do? And I'll get into my feelings like, oh, this hurt. I cried, God, why? And he was like, ask me why again, and I'm going to keep enduring. And so for me, it's quick that when I get connected, I connect with, it's not a lot. God has recently just been placing the right people in my life, honestly, as connectors, that I'm transparent. I'm like, this is where I'm at. This is what's happening. And they'll give me a word, and it's like, yep, that's what I need. Okay, God, I trust you. You know, it's my greater shall be, you know, in the latter. Father, I'm not going to look at, you know, the wealth of the wicked because I find myself often how the scriptures really start to come to life that when I looked at the wealth of the wicked, my foot almost slipped and I got a deeper revelation that God was teaching me the wicked doesn't always mean someone's sinful. We as a Christian can have a wicked behavior, wicked meaning against God, not the character. Mm -hmm. So when I experienced just this whole thing a couple of days in that behavior, I was like, God, but look at this. All these doors are opening. She has this platform, blah, 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 blah. And looking at that, my foot almost, I found myself like, forget it, God. You couldn't have called me. My whole life, I've been through this. I found myself about to get into that. But God quickly was like, shut your mouth. What was the message just on Sunday? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Suffering. You have suffered yeah. a lot, and um, we need to tell that story about your life 
and how you are pushing others to be authentic. And just by opening up your story to others, that is what is going to cause them to see God in your story. So your view is going to come to life when people, the Lord is um, speaking to me and telling me to tell you that uh, the, the thing that's missing is people are not yet connected to your story. It is your mm-hmm. story that puts all of the pieces of the puzzle in place and so that people can see how God has been awesome and how he has revealed himself to you in your life and sustained you through such incredible heartache where you are still yeah. standing today and pouring into others. And so we're going to really pull out the details of your story so people can get to, you, to know you. And yeah. your book is about from going from that being very um, hidden and mm-hmm. um, being behind that mask and the pain being very raw and um, coming from that to releasing people to be able to war in the spirit and you being able to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what's been extremely um I want to say even overwhelming and coming out where the attack has come. And it's just like, okay, who am I? What have you called in being connected to the right people? I would tell you even today when I go to, like, conference or whatever, you know, because as someone that walks in the prophetic, you got to be careful. you got to guard your surroundings and what happens and what you do. Um, but often that's a problem because if I go that way and I'm not, like, all in everyone's face, you know, it's like, you feel that judgment, like you think you're better, or you think, and it's like a false perception. Like, no, that's mm-hmm. not me. And while you may see when I minister the extrovertedness as a person, I'm very introverted. And so when you <laughs> share and you're very transparent, when you're very transparent, there's like judgment that comes with that. So there's now this major attack. Uh, to the point where there's been members because I pour into them, give them what they need, and then move on. It's been like, oh. Um, she use you after she get. How am I using? I gain nothing if I'm supposed to give you what God has given, and then when I'm done, I'm supposed to move on. I'm just right. supposed to impart and continue to mm-hmm. move on. And so right. even then, it's been the attack because of the uniqueness of who I am and you know how different I am and how I flow. That's been major, to be honest, because I don't fit the typical. This is how a pastor's wife should be. This is this. So mm-hmm. it's been a massive attack for that because a lot of people don't share their story or they're not transparent. Or like when the situation was going on with my daughter after I preached it, they're like, "You don't get up in the pulpit." It's like, man, that's why so many people are hurting. Look at what's happening with Eddie Long. Look at you know so many pastors yeah. that the one Tim Zachary Tim's because they. They couldn't yeah. tell their story and be transparent, and because they had to wear this mask, now, oh, now they've gotten caught up in sex trafficking or this or this because they were hurting, but they had to meet what your expectation was. Man, are we forgetting about David, you know, and where David mm-hmm. was, and when he exposed where he was, then he repented. But we have this such, we put these people on such these heighted places where we forget they're still human. Or why not share what God has done and what he's brought you through? Or why not take that time to sit on the side and have someone cover you when you're in that season and they don't even have to know and you're yet still being restored? And that's why the mm-hmm. enemy, I believe, because we're not being transparent where we are, he's like, go ahead, keep wearing your mask. I'm going to expose you, and I'm going to expose you to tear down the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's good. Um. I'm really excited about this, and 
this is a good first session. We do need to have more. We're going to nail down just some nuts and bolts and tails out asking for just the year you were born, where you were born, just to really anchor your story um, and give it some context because I really want people to read your life. It's a fascinating story. It is, and you need somebody who can extract and tell it. What I want you to work on is um, I don't know if you have a good photographer who can give you a new shoot with some high-resolution headshot types. I want that style shot for your cover, a, a good headshot. And okay. um, think smiling. Yes, what I do is I start. You say smiling and? Yeah, arms crossed. You're happy. You're successful. Power shots. Okay. Um, so we want that because we want them to see where you are now, that God has anchored you. And so if we're going to be looking at story, it's beautiful on the cover. We want a close-up shot and then um, the title in big letter. And you can choose the colors and all of that. But we want a better, mm-hmm. bolder, fresher, clean cover, like a more modern-looking cover for you. Right. Um, because they're going to right. tell your story. So it's going to be autobiographical in many ways, but. Um, also some salient points for people to take away from it, too. Yes, definitely. I do, and I think that's more of, um, and I'm, it's totally in your hands, in telling the story, I want to also bring people to the word. I want people to relate to where, where they've been war, and because of that authenticity, you know, fitting in, or just like here in Hawaii, I'll be totally honest, It's we've been told, I mean, it's we're in Hawaii, so that goes to show you already. It's not a lot of black people here. Right, um, right. The most black people come from the military. So then, when you get stuff and you go to a mega church and you have a pastor that says things like, "You're not a part of our DNA." What is that supposed to be? You right. know, I thought the DNA was Christ. So are you saying culture? But I thought heaven. And if we're preparing for what it's going to be like here on earth for heaven, heaven is going to be multicultural. We're going to be together. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so it's some of those things and even share how we mask even in the church. We act like it in front, oh, God bless you, we love you. But behind closed doors, I don't like her, you know, or I don't like mm-hmm. him or we just mm-hmm. get the, the politics of the church. And I think that's what's hurting. That's why the enemy, well, God gave me that mask and I know you're going to help me bring it out. Man, the mask is really, he's like, I like this. Keep wearing the mask because as you mm-hmm. do this, this allows me to continue my assignment, which is from day one, was to sabotage the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what we're going to expose with your book. Your stories, like when we incorporate stories, they'll be lead-ins to the points that are already there that I have. Yes, ma'am. Points that you want to make in your book and always directing people to the word of God. So your story is the lead-in to draw them into the lessons because people will not pay attention to what you have to say unless you give them something. Give them yeah. something, then they receive from you. So that's how we're going to do it. It's going to be a give and, and, um, of your story so they can receive from the word of God. So it's going to be a good balance, good balance. Yes, um, ma'am. So, yeah, it was. this was great, and um, I'm going to have you let me know your schedule, and we're going to set up more calls um, so okay. that I can talk to you and um, want to make sure we get your story right. And we're going to have that intro and first chapter done by the time of the conference. So if they want to sample that and see that, they can. And right. um, 
yeah, but I we need a photo shoot. Even if you if you feel less and do a photo shoot and you really have a mask that you're holding that's off, that's fine. As long as there's a shot of you that's close up and um, with really nothing else. I would love like a clean shot with a white background and you. Okay. And um so that the the lettering on the cover will be blow, but they'll get you. I think that's really important. So what I will do is I will schedule, I get my hair done actually this Thursday, the 13th. So what I will do is um, I've been wearing my hair wrapped, but what I will do is probably get like some curls so that it can accent, because I know you are on it, because you know when my husband saw that cover, I'm going to be totally honest, this is going to confirm, he was upset that the picture doesn't show my birthmark because he said that's what you're talking about. Well, yes. that's what I talked about in my story. We're moving forward, but you know where I'm going in the other situation, and it wasn't even in there. And he was like, that's the mark. That is key. When people look at your picture, I don't want makeup. I mean, I'm going to have to, because when you take a professional photo, you got to have some type of makeup. Sure, but right. I, I will tell the makeup artist I need the makeup to accent this birthmark because my husband was like, I want your birthmark showing. This is so key. It's an intricate part to the book. Absolutely. So, I just want to let you know your instinct because he said that. Yes, saying yeah. that that's where your gift comes from. Why would you cover up your gift? So, right. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, okay. I'm excited. You can, if something comes to your mind or whatever, you can reach out to me. I'm available to you. We're going to get this done and um, get a, we're going to get a contract out to you today. Um, so you'll have that, and you can look over it. If you have any questions about details and all that, we can talk that through, but I'm excited. Amen. Good. Thank you. And I will, um, well, Mondays and Thursdays, just so you know, I'm always off. I don't work. Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, okay. Mondays and Thursdays. So if that's a good day for you, any time that will work for me. If we have to do any other day, then you just need to let me know so I can block out my schedule because that's when I come to church, you know, when I'm here at church working or doing sessions or counseling. Okay. Sounds good. Monday okay. and Thursday. We'll figure it out. Okay, God bless. Have a wonderful okay. day. You too. God bless. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.